Hey everyone, it's Joanne. Although we recorded this episode right before everything started closing down in the country, this is a good episode to listen to while we are practicing social distancing with children at home. Now, I know firsthand how crazy things have been with trying to work from home and teaching my kids um, since they are not able to go to school. This episode is a reminder of how much of a blessing children are, and also it gives you tips that we discuss on great ways to interact with your kids as we are with them every day for the foreseeable future. Enjoy. So, hey guys, welcome back to our podcast. Before we actually begin, we wanted to remind you guys to go ahead and rate us as well as give us a review. Yes, tell your friends to tell their friends to listen to our podcast and rate us, please. So, all right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And if you have kids or are thinking about having kids or know a kid, this episode is for you. So basically, this episode is for everybody. As you know, Joanne is the mama here. Joanne is a mom of four boys. And as someone like myself who does not have kids, I consider her to be the expert in the realm of parenthood. (laughs) expert I am not (laughs) I really am still learning this motherhood thing it's not as hard or as scary as it was I should say in the beginning Um, but I still wouldn't call myself an expert maybe I'm an expert at what I've already um, tackled but what's to come in the future I know nothing of with these kids so you know each kid is different Um, each stage is different it's it's just it's never easy but Parenting is wonderful. It's a blessing. It's great to have, um, you know, these little people who are looking up to you. And I will always tell people that what works for one parent, you know, what works for my husband and I may not work for others. So, you know, it's not the best thing to always like compare yourself to another family and say, oh my goodness, they got it all together. And I can't get one kid to do what I want them to do. Don't do that. Never do that. So as someone who doesn't have kids, um, I have questions for Joanne as well as uh, questions for Matt. You guys may remember Matt from episode five of season two, and Matt is a licensed marriage and family therapist. So for those of you guys who don't don't know what that is, he basically has rigorous training in mental health, and he deals with a variety of ages. So one thing you guys may not know about Matt is that he is a father of four girls and Joanne is a mother of four boys. Mm-hmm. Matt is the only other person in my life that I know that has the equivalent of what I, do, I have. So I'm the only girl in my household and he's the only man in his household. So Matt, tell us a little bit about your girls. Thanks for uh, having me, my reverse twin. You are my, <laughs> you're on the opposite spectrum of where I am. Um, having four girls is amazing. My wife and I have four girls. The oldest is eight, and the triplets are 15 months younger. They're six. They'll be seven in July. It is challenging. It is rewarding. It, it gets lonely sometimes. I think we need more restrooms in this house. <laughs> <laughs> And, but but it's definitely a, a joy to have. So y'all, I'm going to come out the cage swinging with these questions. Uh, I can only imagine. So both of you have four children each. 
So my first question is, how does parenting impact your emotions? And I think I want to start with uh, Matt for this question. Well, it depends on uh, what stage the kids are in to answer that, honestly. You know, uh, when the kids were younger, I think my emotions were all over the place. And the older they got, the more stable I became. But I, I think, And that's because my hyper awareness went down about how they were doing and what they were doing and are they capable? Meaning when their capacity went up, my anxiety went down. While they were younger, of course, I had to be more alert. I think I was even hypervigilant to where if I heard anything, <laughs> I would you know, jump up and, and go check on them. I remember just, just feeling like I could hear and see everything. <laughs> And that impacted my emotion because I wasn't in a regulated state. My mind wasn't stable. And so the older they, they are, the more stable I am. They are now six. The triplets are six. And big sister is eight. And so my emotions, I would think it's pretty chill. Nice. What about you, Joanne? So I, I'm very similar to Matt. Um, you know, people often are asking me, as you can hear, <laughs> Uh, my fourth, making all this noise, people are often asking me, oh my goodness, you have four kids, how do you do it? I mean, it's tough. It is tough. But the more I had, the easier it got in the sense of me knowing what's to come. Um, With my first one, everything was high anxiety. Like I remember having a breakdown because Mike was trying to go out with Preston without me. And I was like, no, you can't. You can't go on the highway without me. And I didn't trust him to be alone with the baby. So everything was on high alert when it came to my first one. You know, I was trying to do everything the way the book said as perfectly as I could. And then the more kids I had, the less that occurred. Like my anxiety went down. Um, If somebody fell, my heart wasn't jumping, you know. I would say my emotions have gotten better over time in regards to parenting my kids. I have I have more control over my emotions, I think, than I feel like my parents did when it comes to parenting. <laughs> I know them Caribbean parents, I'm telling you. Traditional Caribbean parents. I am interested, just really quick, in why you felt that way about Mike going out with the, with the kid. Like, what was that about? y'all dads wow. I couldn't I couldn't trust him to begin with because he he's a dad my, you know Mike he's very nonchalant and his nonchalant attitude worried me I was like babe you know during the prepping you know during pregnancy especially the first one you're reading books there's all to all these um what do you expect when you're expecting kind of things Mike did none of that none of that stuff that he prepared for he didn't know right. anything he was just gonna wing it and so I was not going to let him wing everything. And so I, I don't know. I had I had that breakdown. And <laughs> I remember him getting ready, getting our son ready. And I was sitting on the stairs crying because I didn't want him to take him without me because I didn't want to go out that day. And he finally, of course, stayed home so that I could, I guess, get out of my panic mode. Wow. So, you know, that brings me to the next question. So, you know, for you, Joanne, I can definitely see, you know, as you've had children, you have children in all different stages, unlike Matt, whose children are very, you know, like the triplets, like, wow, three babies at once. I can only imagine that. 
So like as you guys are evolving in your parenting and getting more experience as time passes, how do you control your emotions? The, the tandem is what helps, you know, it's because outside of the kids, we do have our own, you know, we, we have our own personal issues that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So having a good tandem, my wife is amazing. And I think understanding my emotion and understanding her emotions help balance things out, you know, because we play on each other's emotions. If I come home from a day at the office and I'm already catching signals from her that she's had a long day or something like that, then I know I'm going to have to be that go in between. And sometimes we won't have to communicate it. Other times we would have to communicate it. We'd look at each other and we'd know or we'd have to verbalize it and Mm -hmm. the other person would have to step up. And so to manage the emotions, we we each have to be aware of our, our capacity. You know, so I have to know on certain days when I'm too tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm sleepy, when I'm, you know, when I'm mentally exhausted, when I'm emotionally drained to make sure that she knows that she can step up and vice versa. It it really has to come from a place of effective communication between her and I. On the days we don't communicate, that's when the ball drops and we have a house that's all over the place. So, you know, Mike, he's very good with being able to let everything roll off his shoulders when it comes to these kids. Me, on the other hand, it's a whole different ballgame. I have hormones running through my body. So for me, you know, communication is key. For example, this weekend, I went to get my hair done. I left him in the house for five hours with the kids alone. Not once did he text me, call me, any of that to say, where are you? I can't handle this. The kids are too much because, you know, for him, he realizes that, you know, those times away are great for me just to have that time alone. But for me, he went to play basketball the next day for about three hours (laughs) and I was already texting him like an hour two, babe, where are you? Are you coming home? This is getting crazy over here. The madness is, you know, it's getting mad. And if I, if I give him, you know, a text like that, he'll come home as soon as he can so he can he relieve me. So right now it's, you know, my emotions, I wouldn't say they're hard to control, but things can get pretty crazy for me pretty fast. And if that happens, I'll tell, if we're all home, I'll tell uh, my husband and I'll say, you know, I'm going to go upstairs, just me and the baby. I need a break from all the noise and I'll go upstairs and he'll let me be. And then um, it's rare that he tells me that he needs that. Things just roll off. He tells me that he's able to tune them out. I can't do that. I don't know how to tune the kids out. He knows how to tune them out. Right, right. So basically what I'm hearing from the both of you is that you guys are emotionally in tuned or emotionally intelligent um, to communicate with your partners. Both of you said that, you know, communication played a big role. So I want to ask this question, throwing it in there. You know, what about like the single parent, like the single mom or the single dad? Like, how are they supposed to control? I know this is a hard question. How are they supposed to control their emotions with a child that is unable to do so? And I think I'm a I'm a nudge you for this question, Matt, because that's your expertise. Yeah, that's a that's a big concern for for um, early development of the child, making sure that the adult, whoever the adult is in that child's life, is able to understand and regulate their own emotions. Hmm. Uh, in those cases, they, they will definitely need support because, of course, with any uh, stage of parenting, there are times when it's just too much and you do need a break. And so having the appropriate support is one of those things that is necessary. 
And in the cases where they don't, then they get overwhelmed. And then, you know, they end up in a deregulated state, which caused them to interact with the child in an unhealthy way. And it's not just our single parents, you know, it's our, you know, two home, you know, two parent homes as well, where mm-hmm. a parent may get deregulated. And then they are now interacting with the kid in a way that can cause trauma in that child's life. And so those are things you have to necess- you have to definitely be care be careful of. And there are resources that should, well, I can't say in every county in every state, mm-hmm. but I know there are resources locally where I am from different agencies that can help parents to help them build capacity so that they won't get burnt out within the first, second, and third year, which is probably some of the most difficult years of parenting. You know, I love that. The fact that you said, you know, to have a support system doesn't necessarily have to be your significant other. It could be anyone that, you know, you put your trust and support in. So I do like that. So let's move on to my favorite F word. Okay, get your minds out the gutter, y'all. My favorite favorite F word is food. So food is a big thing. And I'm curious to know what do meal times look like for the both of you? And I'm gonna I'm gonna let Joanne start first. Well, you know, it's a funny thing because growing up, meal times they represented what a Haitian household would look like. Lunches were the main meal, the biggest meal of the day. If we were at school that day when we got home at around three, that's when we would have um, our biggest meal. And so now as I have my own household, things have kind of changed where meal times during the weekdays, you know, the kids will have breakfast together and Mike and I, we're running around trying to pack everything um, that we didn't pack the night before and give everything to whomever. And then, you know, we pack their lunch, um, our kids' lunch. So they go to school with um, lunch from home. And then dinner time is occurring at around 7, 7.30, sometimes 6.30, depending on the day. And that's now becoming the biggest meal for us. And it's crazy. Meal times, especially when everybody's home, is crazy because every time we sit down to eat our food, someone's asking us to get up to get them something else. <laughs> so we try to, you know, have like a, a family-style meal where everything is at the table. So that way we're not having to actually get up off the table to feed everyone. But meal yeah. meal times can get crazy with kids. What about you, Matt? How do you calm the chaos of meal times? Wow. So it's a party every single time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a party. But you know, I think we've we've put a system in, in place to where they can anticipate what's coming. You know, like we talk about our meal prep, we talk about our meal plans, we even have something. Uh, where we have them pick out a fruit and vegetable of the month that we're going to try for the month. We call it Green Week. And in Green Week, we eat a lot. We eat lots more fruits and vegetables every time we have Green Week. And during Green Week, like I said, they they get a chance to go pick out uh, the fruits and vegetables for that month. Like, let's say in November, it was, of course, pumpkin and, you know, the fruit was like grapes or something like that. So during the month of November, the last week, we'll, we will have a lot more, lots more grapes. And of course, we'll try pumpkin out. And so it's just to get them used to trying new things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's, it's, not, it's not as bad as what people would think it is. It's a lot of fun because now that they're older, we can get them involved. And so they help with the meal preparing. They help prepare the table. 
they help uh, clean up afterwards, you know, and they, they are little chefs. They are chef juniors. So mm-hmm. I'm anticipating by the time they're 10, 11, that uh, I won't have to cook at all. <laughs> <laughs> goals. Those are definitely right. goals. Right. I, I'm with you on that. We do the same thing with the meal prepping. We started, um, I'm my mom in the kitchen. I don't like a lot of hands that don't know what they're doing in the kitchen. So it took me until this November that passed to kind of like re- um, release some of my rain, as my, Mike likes to call it, in the kitchen um, with the kids and let them do um, some of the stuff. So I- I'm really hoping by the time... You know, Preston is nine now. I'm hoping in a couple of years, you know, breakfast on Saturday mornings, I'm just rolling out of bed to go eat breakfast. (laughs) You know, they they can do the bare minimum right now. They can, of course, fix cereal. They can make sandwiches, pour orange juice, get get their fruits. But when it comes to the stove, they're not there yet. You know, Mm -hmm. They, they just help with the prepping. And like, if I have to put something in a pot, they get to pour the oatmeal. They get to measure certain things and stuff like that. And if they're not doing anything, they, they like to just sit in the kitchen and watch us while we're cooked. So we, we have mm-hmm. them line up their chairs, high chairs, and they just watch. They like to see the whole process. They're really interested in the whole process. And so, and then the fact that they're interested and they're invested in it helps them enjoy the meal a little bit more because mm-hmm. they, feel, they feel as if they contributed to the meal. And so it makes it more delicious. For anyone who cooks, you know, once you put that labor in, mm more rewarding once you taste, you know, the the fruits of your labor. Exactly. And Matt, let me tell you this. There's some grown folks out there who can just pour milk on the cereal and make sandwiches. So the fact that your girls at such a young age are doing it, like that is a big accomplishment. Because I know grown folks that that's all they can do. So Joanne, I know this question is for you. Um, I know that you, you have a son that has multiple food allergies, and I'm pretty sure that you know, it was it was a stressful time. I can only imagine. So how how do you handle that? I'm pretty sure now you're a pro. With it was all new, and he was going through all of these sensitivities. How how did you handle all of that? So he had food um, intolerances, not food oh, allergies. Okay. He actually triggered for having um, peanut allergy, but we did a food challenge. Mm-hmm. in the allergist office and it came back negative so he's able to have peanuts it wasn't a true allergy but he has um several food intolerances so when it first was occurring and we were going to the doctor he was having a lot of loose stools he was like it's we started noticing it at around six months you know the doctors were trying to work with us trying to figure out exactly what was what you know we did all kinds of testing to make sure it wasn't anything crazy going on internally um, when all organs were functioning as best as they thought they should uh, function, we realized it was a GI issue that he was having where he was having malabsorption. So as a dietitian, mommy, it's kind of hard. It was hard for me to separate the two, to be a mom and to have him as like a client, to have that client mindset. And mm-hmm. I had to separate the two to be able to treat him because I couldn't find anyone that I wanted to work with that I could say, hey, can you be my child's dietitian? That understood exactly what was going on with him um, in the manner that I wanted them to to treat him. And so I had to literally separate the two and Mike became like the parent And I was the provider and I, you know, I tested him, I created his therapy and, you know, we had a game plan and this, you know, the items that we had set for him to eat to try to, um, you know, heal his gut and heal his 
um, GI issues, we we put them into motion and we did the plan that I had set. Um, and I had to do that. If I was mommy and provider, it would not have worked because too many emotions would be in there when I was making my decisions and my mind would get fogged up. You know, if if he wasn't healing fast enough or if he didn't like a certain food as a mommy, I may curve and say, "Okay, you can have the food that I know is probably causing you issues. But when I separated the two, I was more able to treat him as I would any of my clients. And it wasn't an easy thing to do to separate the two. It wasn't easy at all, but I had to do what I had to do. Right, right. And I think that is a very invaluable advice that you give right there, because I know individuals, other parents, which may be, you know, may not be a food intolerance or food allergy, but other health concerns of their children, to be able to separate your professional from your personal emotion so that you can handle this situation a bit better. Y'all, I'm here taking notes. I am taking (laughs) notes. So Matt, the next question is for you. So in my view, You basically have triplets, quadruplets, excuse me. So it sounds like that you and your wife are very organized. So let us know, how do you keep everything organized? How does someone like set that up? Yeah, so we have to do a lot of planning, you know, like having four under two was a task. But before they even got here, we started the planning on what we need to do for ourselves first. Hmm. making sure that we could have uh, room enough for them, mental, emotional, physical, and so forth. And so what I tell parents or what I tell people in general is like raising four, it's like raising one, you know, your capacity adjusts to what your task is. So the fact that we have four is just that we have stepped up to raising four. Raising one is difficult on its own. Raising Hmm. four is just as difficult. It's just, you just have to do things more times, you know, and that's it. So the planning, uh, we created a schedule that has been uh, adjusted over the years, of course, as they got older, but the schedule is kind of the same. You know, we know what times their meal, we know what times their play, we know what times their nap, when they used to take naps, we know what time their homework, now that they have homework, we know what time their bath time is, story time. So there's a time for everything. And based on them knowing that time, because we chart it all over the house. If you, if you ever come to our house, we have a lot of charts up on the wall. And they know what the time period to do what is. And so they make our jobs a little bit easier now that they can read and write for themselves, you know. And mm. to the point where they're starting to create their own schedules and charts as well. Nice. So, so, so they, they've, they've, make, they've made our work that much easier because they've taken to our scheduling and it's, I don't know, I, I, I can't say it's not difficult, but it's, it's, it's not that, it's not that difficult. It's as people think. As long as you have a schedule, as long as you stick to that schedule, because once we don't stick to the schedule, it's crazy. Schedules are definitely the key of life. And I'm pretty sure, they Joanne, you, you, have, you have a rigid schedule too. Not rigid, but flexible, you know, that your children can easily adapt to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they know my schedule too. They know our schedule, so and and they're flexible with us as well. Right. Yeah, you know, those schedules they're very important. You know, I remember growing up, I used to think that the days were so long and there was so, you know, before the weekend came when I was in school, it was forever in a day. Now, you know, things are going by so fast because pretty much with our schedules planned, 
we don't have much idle time during the day, especially when the kids are home. It's bop, 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 bop. We got to do this. We got to do that, especially on the weekends, like where my Sundays used to be a little bit more leisure. I used to go hang out with friends, see friends. I don't have that time anymore. Everything is about prepping, you know, getting the kids ready for the week on Sundays. So schedules, if they get messed up, it can, you know, get have everything going crazy for us. But I think we're pretty um, nonchalant people. So mm-hmm. if something does go awry, we don't mm-hmm. like... Freak it, out. It yeah, it, it doesn't freak us out. That is definitely good. I do like the fact that you said, you know, your children, you know, they're on a schedule and they're familiar with your schedule. So everyone just, it's just smooth. It's a smooth operation from day to day. So my second to last question, and this is a private question. And I I want to know this because I'm not, I don't want to speak for Haitians, but I know in the Jamaican culture, when it came to discipline, woo. So how how do the both of you safely discipline your children? And I'm talking about like timeouts, grounding, spanking, taking away an electronic device. Like how do y'all how do y'all do it? Listen, I, I'm not my parents. I'll say that. Well, <laughs> Haitians are just like Jamaicans. I feel like any Caribbean family um, can relate to how their parents disciplined them. You know, mm-hmm. for me, I I always looked at spankings. I feel like it's a you're trying to break a person's will. I all Mike and I we discuss this all the time. Like we feel like spankings are like a like if you can, you can relate it back to slave times where someone is beating someone to break their will and to get them to do what they they want them to do. So it's really not in my nature. I I do a lot. I do timeouts. We do groundings. We do we we try to relate them, and I'm sure Matt can um, go into this a little bit more professionally. We try to give the punishment based on how old they are. Our, my three-year-old, almost four-year-old now, and my five-year-old and my nine-year-old, they're each getting disciplined differently. My nine-year-old, he's the kind of person where verbal discipline will get him to do what you need him to do. So discipline in my household depends on the child and depends on the age that my child is. Hmm. But I, tr- I try to stay away from what I got, for sure. The, the, the physical handling. Yes. <laughs> that? Wow. So all of the above. And I, I think when we hear spanking, I think the connotation is negative. It's, it's, it's exacerbated. You know, it's, it's always extreme. And that's not the case. Like, we spank, uh, but we know that we have to be in a space where we do things way differently from what our parents. The spankings mm-hmm. that I got growing up didn't Ooh. have a lot of talk, comfort, Mm-mm. assurance, understanding, questions, answers that were associated with it. It was just, you're going to get this whooping. You're going to go over there <laughs> and stop the crying, right? We use, we use timeout. We use um, removing electronics. We use you know them being grounded. We use other you know, forms of positive reinforcement and negative reinforcements mm-hmm. as well. But mm-hmm. spanking is a part of it. You know, sometimes the immediate is just to give them a tap on their wrist to let them know, hey, this is not acceptable. And so that that's the immediate. It creates a shock response to whatever the stimulus is that's causing them to not do what they need to do. And then, of course, we talk to them and, and help them understand why the discipline was given 
based on what the issue was, you know? And so I think that's a major difference and from what I received growing up versus what we do. And mm-hmm. it's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, at least for us, we do spank. But we, like I said, we, we make sure that we do it in a way where we're speaking to them. We, we, we help them regulate after the spanking. We help them understand that this is not what we'd like for them. We, you know, we give them warnings. You know, we tell them this is what merits a spanking, you know. So we have conversations with them about what the behaviors should be rather than focusing on what the behaviors that they're displaying. We ask them, um, we ask them, um, is this gene girl behavior? Basically mm-hmm. quantifying them as a, a specific type of person, you know. So you do you know who you are, basically? And knowing who you are, is this the type of behavior that you should be doing? If the answer is no, then we ask them, what should you be doing as a gene girl? Mm. You know, we frame it in a way to where um, uh, we, we call it identity-focused parenting. The book is coming soon, don't worry. <laughs> and so by creating a specific identity in them, they can understand who they are and what they are supposed to do based on who they are related to. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm your parent, if I'm your dad and you know who I am, do you understand what type of behaviors that I have? Have you seen these behaviors in me? Have right. you seen these behaviors in your mom? And so if you have not seen these behaviors, then that's not acceptable behaviors for the gene girls, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, it allows them to check each other, but it also allows them to even check us. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. That, I mean, you took the words right out my mouth, like having your children check you as well. Because I know a lot of parents, the way that I was raised, it's like my parents were always checking me. And, uh-huh. you know, I can freely say this because, I mean, we're all Christian here. There's a verse in the Bible. Um, what is it? My Bible memory is bad, y'all. It is um, parents don't provoke your children unto anger or something like that. The fact that you're allowing your children to check your behavior as well, like, okay, straighten up. So allowing your children to have that autonomy to do that, to check your behavior because you're a role model for them. I like that. And then also making the disciplines different for each age group. Because I know like Joanne, we were speaking earlier and your young son headbutted you. But if Preston was to headbutt you at this age, it would be a very different response. Very different response. And, you know, I'm glad to hear from a professional that Mike and I have been doing this right. Because we do um, give them the identity and we do say, you know, you guys are Falmen. You're Falmen men to be. And, you know, I have a great husband. I have a pretty great husband. I can say that. So I can say to my boys, do you ever see daddy doing this? Or, you know, and, you know, my husband is the example for these boys that we're raising. And so I relate a lot of stuff to that. And, you know, I tell them, you are a Falman. This is the Falman family. You represent us when you go out into the world. If you do something that's negative, they're going to relate it all to us. So I'm glad to hear that we've been doing something right. Listen, these are, these are things that aren't necessarily taught. You know, but I think we utilize this because we understand if I know who I am, then mm-hmm. there is a specific orientation that comes with that identity, right? Mm-hmm. And we do this in every other spaces. These are just methods that I've used in other areas of, of therapy and counseling that I now apply on a, low, or a lower level of understanding, right? And so mm-hmm. for couples, I, I teach and, and I do something that's called uh, reality couples therapy, which helps orient the couple 
into the reality they desire. So if they know a specific reality that they desire, then they have to orient each other towards that reality. If you're veering away from that, then there are key words, key phrases, key things to make that person remember who they are, remember what relationship they're in to comport themselves, to communicate, to, to interact in a way that's specific to that reality. We use the same method on our kids, making sure that they understand who we are. And it, start, it started early. When they started walking, we told them that we are sidewalk people. We always walk on the sidewalk. We never walk across the grass. And it's a way of us first monitoring them, but it's also for them to understand that we don't take shortcuts. We follow the rules. You know, we stick together. You know, these small phrases, they know for sure. And they repeat them every time we go out so they can remember that they're oriented in a specific way and fashion. And I don't know about you guys, I could never check my parents. Our parents were do as I say. So for us, like my kids, they will check you real quick. They'll say, well, mommy, you said we're not supposed to do this. How come you're doing it? Right. So it's not just that. It's a way that we allow them to check us that makes sense for the context of our relationship. Like one of the things we did very early is that we taught them the fruit of the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's biblical. I know not everyone rocks with the Bible or is a Christian, but it's just something just to keep them understanding what type of characters and traits that they should have. Mm-hmm. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I think there's other one I skipped in there, but they know what they are. And we had them when they were starting to draw and color, we had them write the words out and understand what each fruit represented so that when they lacked that specific trait, we told them to go to the wall and fictitiously, you know, like act like they're eating the fruit, pick it off the wall and bite it. <laughs> so you need more patience. Go eat some patient fruit. They'll go to the wall and they'll, and they'll, bite, and they'll bite at the fruit. And so that's how they check us. They, they'd say, dad, you need more patience right now. Or dad, you need more kindness. And I'd be like, I forgot my kindness. Could you give me some? And they'll go in their pockets and they'll hand it to me, you know? So that's the context that they started with as it relates to checking us, you know? Mm -hmm. Seeing where we were asking them to do a specific thing as far as their character and then say, and and realize that sometimes we may need it as well. And I think that's so important to show that vulnerable phase of life where us as adults, we're not perfect. We make mistakes, Mm -hmm. we're fallible. And so them realizing that, it it helps them understand that they will make mistakes as well. And so that when we do correctives, it's still in love. We're still doing this because we care and we love them and we want to see them um, become the best versions of themselves. Right. And I think also with that, the relationship that you guys are, you know, currently building with your children, you know, it's nothing but positivity. And I see, you know, the same relationships that individuals may have with their parents that's how they're going to view society. That's how they're going to view authorities, um, you know, like the police officers. That's how they're going to view their boss, their co-workers. So it, it all starts in the home. Yeah. So with that being said, guys, do you have any closing thoughts that you want the audience to know about parenting and raising children in 2020? Well, I can go first so I can let the last word be that of a mental health therapist. <laughs> Kids are wonderful. They are a blessing. When I tell you they are a blessing, and I think I've said this on um, the podcast before, when I got pregnant with my first child, my dad, who is now since deceased, he told me, you will not know what unconditional love is until 
this child is born. And he is, he was so right. Like the minute my kid was born, it was a surreal period, of course, where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm a mommy. But I had this unconditional love for this new being that would never change and will never change. And, you know, I have four kids now and it is a handful, but the blessings that I have and the love that I have for these kids, they surpass and they cover whatever stress and whatever issues you would have thought would have came with having four kids. <laughs> nice. Matt? Wow. I, I would just like to say that parenting is a joy. You know, I would, I look at it as like, it's the joy of parenting. You know, I think mm -hmm. one of the things that happened when I was younger, as I, when I became a parent was, I felt like I, I was lied to uh, about what parenting was. I felt like a lot of people made us more fearful of what parenting was. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case, man. Parenting is definitely a joy. Fatherhood has been one of the best things that have ever happened to me. It, it brought, it, it made me more aware of my strengths rather than my limitations, you know? Because it increases your capacity. It allows you to challenge yourself every single day and it reveals your true character. And if you are seeing things that you don't like, then that shows that you definitely have some work to do. You know, mm -hmm. one of those things that I've learned in infant mental health is that uh, the kids are a direct reflection of us. So what you see in your kids that you don't like and you've seen it in previous generations, now they're happening in your life and now they will happen in your kid's life. And so they are direct. They are a direct mirror. They also are a joy. They are a blessing. And I would not trade it for the world. Not at all. Nice. So with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast episode. Do not forget to give us five stars, share this episode, and also write us a review. Thank you so much, Matt, for being on the podcast again. And you guys go ahead and check him out. I bet, Matt, I think I'm gonna need a book a session or two. Good. <laughs> you are just a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> also, you know, you guys should just make me a resident therapist. I don't know what you I, I'm down for that. Official, make me the resident therapist for your podcast i'll be happy to come on anytime you guys need me thank you all right guys have a good day bye everyone bye